Man, I, I am excited to be here because it, it has been one of those seasons, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate, where it's one thing after the other and you feel like you're under fire from all sides. Now, as a lot of you know, about eight years ago, I had this really cool opportunity to travel with a ministry called Silver Ring Thing. And they, man, it was like eight, it was 14 of us stuck in a shuttle bus. I'm going to let that sink in. Not a touring bus, a shuttle bus. The one that you see at the airport that bring people back and forth from the terminals, that for 10 months traveling across the country. Yeah. Eight girls, six guys. It was a real growing season. One of my favorite seasons, like God taught me a lot through it. And it was also really fun because we got to do a lot of just amazing activities. Got to see some really cool stuff. But there was one that kind of sticks out because when we talk about this idea of crossfire, a lot of people, they don't really understand what that means. So I'm going to give you an illustration that might make it a little more sense or help make a little more sense of it. So we were in Michigan. I'm not going to say, I waited on it. I knew it was coming. But we were in Michigan and there was a uh, organization there called the Three Mile Project. Now the Three Mile Project is a huge community center. Man, they have a ton of things available for teens because their goal is they're wanting to bring the youth of the neighborhood in because they're, they're in a pretty rough neighborhood, pretty rough area, but they want to be able to bring people in, introduce them to Christ, and be a safe spot for them both figuratively, physically, and spiritually. And they had this really cool activity. I don't even remember the name of it. Best way I can describe it is paintball with like rubber bullets. Okay? Like this, this was intense, and we all knew that this was there at Three Mile Project. And so immediately, this might shock you, there was some trash talking being had. And me being the quiet, shy, peaceful person that I am, might have, wow, Caleb. <laughs> Give you, you know, we'll talk later. You're lucky I'm so kind and peaceful. Anyway, I, I made the comment that I was not going to have any issues with this and nobody on this team would be able to hit me once. That stirred some people the wrong way. But in my head, I have this safety net. I'm like, okay, it's rubber. It's not paint, so there's no evidence of if I get hit. It is simply, okay, I'm, if I flinch or if I signal, that's the only way they're going to know I got hit. So I made, I made a vow to myself at that moment. I'm like, Stephen, it doesn't matter how many times you get hit, you're not flinching. You're not going to admit it. You're not going to own up to it. You are going to go through, play a perfect game, take people out. It's going to be magnificent. So we start playing. I get hit. I don't own up to it. And I start, and the game keeps going on, and you notice the other team is getting more and more frustrated with the fact that I'm not calling my hits. Little did I know that there was an agreement made between the other team and my team that Steven is going to call himself out at some point. So the next thing I know, I'm running out there, I'm shooting, and I start taking fire from behind me. <laughs> And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, man, I, I know who's back there. They probably haven't shot. And they're, they're just accidentally hitting me. No big deal. All of a sudden, it, it is everybody. And so I have to run out of our bunker area. And I end up out there in the middle. And I'm taking shots from everybody. And I was like, this is not a good location to be at. Like, I need to be with my back to the wall. This is not, this is not good. Because no matter where I turn, somebody is shooting at me. And I no longer have a safe spot to go to. I don't have any comfort. And even people who I thought were on my own team now have turned against me. 
So before I go any further, I'm going to take this opportunity to apologize to the team members because I don't think I've ever publicly announced this. But yes, Kristen and Stephanie, I did get hit repeatedly and I, I apologize for lying, okay? That's a big step for me, okay? That's eight years in the works. But the whole point of that is the middle isn't always a safe spot. Because the Bible throughout all of it, from the beginning to end, lays out that there is one side, there is light and dark. There is sinful, sinful lifestyle, there is holy lifestyle. Like That is the whole point of why Jesus came, was to mend that so that we had a chance. And so when we talk about this idea of crossfire, there are so many people who feel, especially in today's version of Christianity, that they can play the middle ground and be absolutely fine. They're trying to find validation or comfort or the benefits of both sides without having to have the challenges or obstacles of the other. The danger with that is eventually something's going to go off and you're going to get hit. Now the question is, which side is it going to be? And so we look at, I, I'm going to warn you, normally I try to keep it within one passage of the Bible when I'm preaching, but we're going to be bouncing around a lot, okay? My inner homeschooler is coming out. We're about to have some sword drills, okay? Um, it's not competitive, but I already have it queued up, so technically I win. But if you guys in your Bibles, go to Revelation 3, 15 through 16. Now, I believe that every word of the Bible is intentional. I believe that God planned and orchestrated this word, and through many authors, through many speakers, this is the holy, perfect word of God. But there's something special about when you hear Jesus himself speaking. And so in Revelation... You hear Jesus sharing his opinion of it because he's talking about one of the churches. And in Revelation 3, we'll start in verse 15. It says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, that I, I would that you were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now for Jesus to say that, we, we look at that analogy and we like, yeah, it makes sense. But we, I watched the video uh, Alan Parr has a great example of this. Because this is also a part of how Jesus was able to relate. Because we hear stories and it makes a little more sense, okay? People like the cold drinks, people like the hot drinks. If something's like room temperature, that's not ideal, okay? We normally go with one or the other. But it was even just in the context of the area he was in. Because one, one of the cities around was known for its hot springs that it was able to use for healing and it had a purpose. The other one was known because it had the cold and refreshing water that helped people feel energized and awakened. But those two had a purpose. Jesus was using this analogy because lukewarm water in that, season, in that area and location did not have a purpose. And so if you are trying to be a middle ground person, if you are a Christian who claims to know Jesus, but yet you are not living according to what he's called you to and trying to accommodate with what the world is offering, right now you're not living in your purpose. And so there are, and I bounced, like I said, I bounced around a lot, but I believe that God has shown us, he's shown us so many more than this, don't get me wrong, but there are three points, there are three dangers of living a middle ground lifestyle. Number one, it's distraction. You can turn to this or the verses you want to come up on the screen. It's 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. And it says in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. It distracts us from what we're called to do. It takes us away from our purpose because you're now trying to find what is comfortable. You're trying to find what's easy, what is right in front of you instead of what, is God, what God has called us to. 
Now, I'm going to set this down for a second. Hopefully, you guys can hear me. Pastor Dave and I talked about the analogy, and that word entanglement catches our attention. Because I'm sure everybody looking at these has never run into the problem of something getting tangled. I think this is one of the main reasons why so many of us are now using Bluetooth headphones, because this just ain't it. Okay, And so we, we get to a point where maybe we need to listen something, to something or we're stressed out or we're, we're feeling like God has something for us or there's something important we got to listen to and we grab this and it's nothing more frustrating than not being able to use something the way it was designed to be used. And so now I have to take time and I'm, this shows my impatience. I'm not doing to unsort it right now because that's going to distract me from what I'm doing. But we have to take time to untangle it before it can actually be used. Our tech guys will be able to tell you plenty of stories about these cables getting tangled and running into issues because it, it takes them away from it. It's a distraction. And it, in several areas, because number one, it shifts your priorities. You have to deal with the problem that's right in front of you instead of being able to build off of what God is telling you to do. Because if I'm trying to listen to something and my headphones can't plug in or reach where I need them to be, that needs to be an immediate fix. I can't focus on what I need to listen to. If they're trying to run power cables to a speaker and they can't reach, they have to now find a way to make that happen instead of worrying and moving past the steps. It slows things down. God has given us a list of priorities in his word of what we're supposed to be as believers. And so if we are focused and entangled on what the world is telling us is a priority over God's version of what a priority is, we're already off to a bad start. So that first, it shifts your priorities. And in 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It clouds our vision as well. Because my, my parents, I, I, can, I can make this joke, every member of my family except me wears glasses. Okay? My mom is as blind as a bat without her glasses, like legally blind. My dad, he's right behind her. My sister, she's getting there, okay? They always talk about how I've avoided the hardships of having glasses, and then I start listing my medical history, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I've had it so easy, and then it kind of shuts people up. Is it bad for me to use my cancer in that way? Absolutely, but I use it. <laughs> But it, when they have their glasses off, when they don't have what available to them to clear their vision, all they can focus on is right there close. We, we, we're here on earth. Like that's how we're created. And so the things that are of the earth are going to be easier for us to see and observe than what God is trying to show us. Because God doesn't always just make everything abundantly clear. Through the Bible, he's gotten to the point where he's used a donkey to get a point across, but it doesn't always work that way for us. We have to stay plugged in and connected to his word. And so if we are distracted, if we're trying to appear as something that we're not, if we're too busy trying just to focus on our comfort and what we want to have happen, then we lose track of where God has taken us and what he has in store. And number three, it kills time. I realized I didn't have the mic in my hand, so I want to pick this back up now. We have... I, I'm, this is an important thing for all of us to remember, and it's something I've talked to teenagers a lot. We don't know how much time we have. Okay? God has made it so clear that you know, life is but a vapor. And in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We don't, we're here for a purpose. We're here for a season. God has a season of time where he wants you to be here, and he has things that he wants you to achieve. If you're too busy, like we talked about the headphones, if it takes me half an hour to un, 
wind and detangle my headphones, I'm now like giving up on listening to what I even wanted to listen to in the first place. Because there are now more important things that have taken my time and I, I'm now going to be focused. And so if we are focused on what the world says priorities are, if we're too busy focusing on what we want to achieve and the comfort and kind of adoration we can get, because I'm going to be blunt, it's trendy to be a Christian. It is not easy to live it out. There are plenty of people who put a Bible verse on their Instagram bio. There are plenty of people who get a cross tattooed on them. There are plenty of people who on their account will say that they are a Christian but never have the courage or strength to live it out. And so they're out here and they are giving a watered down version of what God has called us to be. And when they do that, they are killing the time and taking away from what God could be doing in their life if they were. So the first big danger of being in the middle is, is the distraction. The second one is isolation. Hebrews 10, 25 and 26 says, For not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. There's that time thing again. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. That's a, that, that's a little tricky part to hear, but I'm, the whole idea is we're supposed to be going through this together. That there is a reason why it speaks so clearly as not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There are plenty of people who are willing to do that. Why? Because church is not always a comfortable place to be at. There are many people who are making it that. Dave and Bree and I, we had a laugh a while ago because we, we were sitting there and we found all these videos about what people are doing in churches. And it is so far away from, from, the, from the gospel and what the church is supposed to be. I, I saw one this morning where, man, they turned the Easter story in the Toy Story. Anyone else get, got a problem with that? Like Buzz Lightyear is now being pictured as Jesus. Zerg shows up just out of nowhere, smokes him, he falls into a toy basket, that's the gospel, then all of a sudden, shortly after, Buzz Lightyear comes flying in on a zip line. Like they make it all about this show and presentation trying to get people in, but it's never about the actual community of people who sh share faith, believe the same things, and recognize that as, in, as a group, we are called to show the love that God has shown to us. That's not always easy. Accountability is not easy. And that's why when we're on the middle ground, isolation is a problem. Number one, I mean, it isolates us from community. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. If you are not comfortable being in a church because you feel like someone is going to judge you or look at you differently, you're going to find people who make you comfortable. That's just it. Because I don't care how much of an introvert you are, you are going to need people in your life to help you get through. At some point in time, you're going to need somebody else. At some point in time, it's going to have to happen. And so if you are wanting, if you're like, man, I'm, I don't want to be pushed. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to be told I'm wrong. I, I need, these are what I want to have happen, and this is what I need for me. You will find people that will do that. That is not what God has called us to. Okay, And so like it says, it, evil communication corrupt good manners. And that leads right into the next issue with this is it hardens us to correction. Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but a ki the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So many of us have friends who are not believers, but because of circumstances that we've gone through together, it feels like they are our go-to. People in our life who we deem as these ride-or-die individuals because they've shown that they are loyal, yet their, their, their beliefs and their morals and their stances are so far from where they need to be at that 
we, we justify it. We make excuses. And so when we have someone in our life who is willing to step up and speak in and say, hey, this is out of line and this is a problem, we now view them as the enemy because we have people who are not doing that who claim to be our friend. So then we have to decide which one is which. And God makes it very clear here. Hey, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If I don't have the relationships in my life that are able to call me out when I'm out of line, that is, they, they do not love me. They do not care for me. Dave used an example of it a couple weeks ago. I can't remember when exactly it was, but he mentions how you know, Dave and Bree, they have become adopted family for me here in Ohio. Okay? And Dave, he and I will joke around, but when it comes to like deep conversations, 95% of the time, he leans more towards the gentle, give a second chance, like mercy, forgiveness, like very gentle, very kind. Yeah, she's in here, so I gotta watch how I say this. Bree does not fall into that category. Bree will blatantly tell me, Stephen, that's jacked up. Or she'll just, I mean, her mom's shaking her head right now. Like, if anyone knows what Bree is like, it, it would be her. It's very blunt and clear, but that's what I need to hear. If I'm looking for friends and people and community who are just going to enable me in, in my season of sin, if I'm doing something wrong, then they don't care about me. They can't be an, an accurate representation of Jesus, and it's just simply to make me comfortable. And so if I'm looking for people to give me that adoration, then that leads into that this whole middle ground lifestyle, it feeds on comparison. And it says in Galatians 6, 4 through 8, but let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. But let him, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. But be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth in the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. If you aren't diving in completely and if you have tried to stay with the morality of the world and trying to associate that with the godliness of Christ, then you are going to be looking and trying to compare yourselves to the people in the church. You try to look to the people who wear the title of pastor or ministry or you look to somebody and say, okay, because I'm better than them, I'm okay. You, we, are, we are struggling and you might be feeling like you are on your own and battling like crazy trying to get through stuff, but we look and see somebody worse off than that and so, okay, apparently I'm not that bad so I can make it. We aren't called to compare to one another. You all are not meant to be like me. Some of you are like, thank God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Call the service. Glory, hallelujah. We're ready to worship. No, that, that's a fact. I'm not called to be you. When in our life group, it is one of the best pictures of it because we have so many different people and so many different personalities. And yet, if they were all me, we ain't getting nothing done. The moment somebody says one thing that the other Stephen disagrees with, man, we throw it down. And that argument will not end. People will call off work the next day. It's not going to stop. But because we have the calming and nicer voices than Stephen, it kind of brings things together. I'm not meant, like God designed me intentionally. And it says here, my own works. I'm not supposed to be comparing to yours. And that, the only way I can know what God has called me to, to work on and to grow in and to sow, as the Bible puts it, is if I have a strong relationship with him. Can't do that from the middle ground. 
Light and dark cannot associate. And so us trying to find our self-worth, our adoration, our acceptance in a position or by comparing ourselves to our brothers and sisters is not where it's supposed to be at. Because God has called us to so much more than that. And unfortunately, the last one, I kind of hit on it already, but the the third danger, the last one we're going to talk about today is the idea of justification. We use that comparison to kind of spin into this because we look at other people and say, you know what, maybe because they're doing it, it's okay for me to do it. We look at it and say, because they're struggling, so at least I do this. They work on some days, at least I'm, I'm here. They, I, I tithe, I know they don't. Like I, I'm in worship and they're not. It, that's not what we're designed to do or we're supposed to do. Point three, the justification in 1 John 1, 6 through 9. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That justification, man, it thrives in mediocrity. Some of you don't feel like up here is where you need to be at. Some of you, the idea of standing and talking to a group of people is terrifying. And that is absolutely fine. Some of you have no need or desire to be on the worship team. That is absolutely fine. My dad says he cannot carry a tune in a bucket and he cannot play the radio without static. We are quite okay with my dad not being on the worship team. But he has other strengths in other areas. So one of the dangers, again, of the middle is you're okay where you're at. It's like we check a box of, okay, I went to church today. Check. That covers me for the next week. Or I opened up my Bible app and I have a streak of seven days. All right, I'm good for this week. I'm there, but I'm not. Why? Because you're so focused and distracted, even while you're here, you're not getting anything out of it. I've had to battle myself. Like, we've been very blessed, okay? I'm going to throw David a compliment here, and of course, this one will make the podcast. He's one of the more engaging and interactive pastors that you're going to meet. Okay, I come from a very traditional background where the pastor comes up and he stands there in a suit and tie and, and he's just reading from scripture and it can stay very monotone. Or they're the ones running around the stage, their faces blood red, yelling about how if we don't get right, we're all going to hell. Dave has a way of connecting and inter- engaging with people that it, it, it's huge. And so for us to be able to sit here, have an engaging pastor, have it be ta- about topics that we know we need help with, and yet we still are able to sit here, be distracted, zone out, and not pay attention to what he has to say, that's not because of Dave. That's not because of Thrive. That's because of us. Our hearts come in already distracted, and so we, we have checked the box saying we are here, we are good to go. Colossians three seventeen, and whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye service the Lord Christ. Or for ye serve the Lord Christ. We're never called to just be lazy and just check boxes. Okay? It calls us to step out. It causes us to do things. We use this idea of justification to really even be worried about how people view us. Because if we 
if we rep the name Jesus and we actually practice what we preach, it's going to rub people the wrong way. So it's better for us to just slide under the radar, do our things, like mind our business, keep everything to ourselves, and then just go through that. And that goes into the next one because guess why we do that? Because it fuels anxiety. We, all, we can use justification in two ways. We can use it as, okay, I'm never going to be at the point where they're at, so why even try? Or it's going to be, that person is much lower than me, I'm good where I'm at. That is not what it is supposed to be. In 1 John 4, 17 through 19, Herein is love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Therefore, there is no, or there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath atonement. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I've been very blunt and kind of called, call outish in this message so far, but here's what, I, here's what I'm going to try to wrap this up with. Because I feel like this is an encouragement for me, and it can be an encouragement for you all as well. Because you don't have to stay in the middle ground forever. Like that, we, we talk about these, and I believe if we, I'm not going to do this, but if everybody in here would raise their hand if they struggled with any of the points that I went through, we would all have our hands up at some point. And you know what? It's okay, because that's, that, that's a battle. Like that, that's Christian life. But one of the things that holds us back in this is the fear of, like we're terrified of either not being a good enough Christian and feeling like we're not worth the sacrifice that God made, or fearing that the people around us are going to judge us by the stances that we take. We use it as justification of, okay, and it's in everything from the workplace to the media that we take part of to how we spend our time, all of it, our, how we invest our money. It's all a sign of what our priorities are. I had a conversation just a couple weeks ago with somebody who was, and, and this, this was a touchy one for me because I work at a military installation. I work with a bunch of very rough, like, military personnel where topics and jokes and conversations are not always God-honoring. That's all I'm going to say. My man Carlos knows. Like, there, there are times people look at me and are a little nervous because they're like, oh, man, Steve's back there. I shouldn't have said that. But now if I had the logic of, okay, I'm already exposed to this stuff. I'm already exposed to this language so I can use it in my media and it's not going to affect me anymore, I'm falling short. We, we can't use our environment, we can't use our comfort zones, we can't use our scenarios to make us more comfortable because God has called us to step out into that. Okay, so all the people around me cuss. It doesn't mean you have to. Like, I, I, I don't cuss at work. Carlos will tell you, like, some of the guys even who are very rough and they are, pro like, it's every other word is something. Okay, we made them. We were listening to the radio within the first month of me being there, and the topic was uh, the average person cusses like 34 times a day. The guy behind me immediately counteracted that and said, "I cussed 34 times before I got out of bed this morning." That tells you all you need to know about the people I work with. But you know what? That doesn't mean that I have to conform. Just because you are exposed to it doesn't mean you have to indulge in it. We looked at it in 1 John when it says, He who continues to sin, that's practicing. The middle ground is dangerous because if we know the truth of God, if we know the love of God and we choose not to accept it, we deem it unworthy or not worth the time of making the effort, then we don't really view God in the way we need to. And so we end up trying to justify or make amends or do whatever we have to. And it's terrifying because we don't want to address that we are jacked up. And we don't want to address that there are things we need to change. We don't want to be humble enough to say, hey, I got a problem. We try to get the perks from both. 
And this is where I said I'm going to end it on a positive. And then final, final point. Living in the gray area disguises your worth. First Peter. Two verse nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Second Corinthians five seventeen through eighteen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have been bought. And paid for with a price that will never be matched. Doesn't matter how much you convince yourself, doesn't matter how fallen you feel, doesn't matter how isolated you feel like you've become, doesn't matter if, if you have gone through this, these struggles or lived a gray area life your entire life or even just in the past couple months. Your value in Christ's eyes never changed. His power never changed. His authority never changed. We are, he says in his word, we are a chosen people. That means a lot to me. Okay? That means a lot. We, a lot of us, we talk about family, like we don't have any control of the family we were born into, but we have control of the family that we make with our community and the people around us. The God of the universe chose me. Knowing what I was going to do, knowing everything I was going to struggle with, he, know, he chose me. And when we talk about becoming new, that's a daily decision. So it doesn't matter how much time you spent in the gray, you're able to start fighting out of that now. And no one's expecting us to go from one extreme to the other and flipping a switch and now I'm super Christian. Okay, you try to do that, that's going to be exhausting. You're going to fail and then we're going to fall into this whole spiral thing again of you trying to understand why you fell. 